0: Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Follow our socials and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there. And now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends, and repeat guest on And the Writer is, Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys, he's a trustee for the Grammys, he's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans, including Christopher Cross, The Go Go's, Run the Jewels, John Bellion, John Ryan, Mozello, Julian Bonetta's Family Affair, Cara Diaguardi's Our House, Future Cut, Sam Waters, Ruth Ann, Brian Morgan, and various other amazing songwriters. In fact, they have publishing deals with Keto, Robopop, Sofia Valdez, Charlie Brand, Tilly, and more. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, we have Songwriters added to the Album of the Year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check him out now. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least five thousand dollars in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming, sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website, or DM them on Instagram, or call eight four 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 all music. That's right, it's eight four four for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry, plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, they help you with your career at all levels, from those just starting out to the biggest hitmakers, just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's versatile songwriting superstar earned her stripes the good old-fashioned way. It didn't happen overnight. She's been writing music her entire life. Even started by touring and getting signed with her family band. But it took many years of grinding through the Nashville scene before stringing together this most impressive five-year stretch. She's been Grammy nominated for four years running, won a CMA award, an ACM award, and was nominated for the first ever Grammy award for songwriter of the year. All the way from Nashville, this mom knows how to prioritize things that matter, like family and the outdoor human experience. I'm so excited to welcome my first country co-writer. No and the writer is Laura Beltz.
1: Are you serious? Yeah, that's real.
0: I think "Ink" is the first country ink, song man. that I've I ever wrote.
1: Fuck, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Had I known,
0: I, I was talking to my wife this morning, and I was like, uh, I said the same thing. It's just like, and and even Joe when he walked in this morning, I was like, when people wonder why they should get publishing deals, that is why. Mm. Because at that time, it's probably two thousand. Eleven, twelve, yeah, maybe thirteen, maybe Life somewhere there. ago. But it was not where this last five year stretch. It wasn't, you know, I hadn't had anything that was notable really at that point either. And you know, way- maybe in the pop no, world, but not like, not like what what came after yeah. that. And I think the idea that a publisher puts people together and introduces them, their job is partially to pitch songs that's what people think it is but it's not it's to make relationships Mm. and i think like after that like every time i see you it's like we just start talking for total vibing we can
1: always you know (laughs)
0: uh
1: that is so funny i had no idea
0: yeah um what happened in that song? That sounds good. Sounds anyway, so fucking good. So speaking of ink, I mean, you got lots of tattoos.
1: I do. I do have.
0: When did you get tattoos?
1: I. It started a long time ago. I was eighteen. My yeah. first tattoo. Yeah. My dad actually like suggest not suggested, but he he is a odd dude. But um, yeah, he was like, you should get a. And I was like, that's a good idea. And then I had an idea for one that, you know kind of dates as uh, a story that started really early in my life. And then I think it was like every two two years since then. And, you know, just holding back the freak for a while and mm. then post-children, post-35, you know, it was like, why are we not doing the thing we've always imagined for ourselves We've never imagined ourselves with hair. (laughs) We've never, you know, I've always imagined myself this way. And I don't know why, but it just like some kind of switch was like, then let's do it. Let's do that now. Why would we not?
0: Before going to your story and asking on that that train of thought, do you think that that's why you're having this stretch of songs is because you're finding who you are as Mm -hmm. a human outside of it?
1: I do. I feel like the first. chapter of my career was like learning how to write a song like learning how to blueprint and pick apart only to put back together like a song you know like structure and shit like that and I think that was like the first chapter was me just breaking my brain about wanting to feel all my feelings and you know in Nashville there's obviously the the trope of like you got to write for a guy you know learn how to write for dudes and so I think that was a big part of it was like you can't write for yourself, much less your type, much less the who you are part. So learn how to do it in this very one specific way, and it felt like the most comfortable way, um, and that worked a couple times, you know. And then in walks Marin, and I'm like, oh, you are a, you're something else, and it gave me a little more freedom. And then by the time 2020 came around, it was just like, well fuck it. I don't know why I like I have so much shit to say. And I've always had so much shit to say and now it's just all coming to the surface and I've I just don't say no to myself anymore if somebody wants to write something really uncomfortable, I'm so excited. I get so fucking excited.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Well, let's go to the beginning. You said your dad's an interesting dude. So, um <laughs> uh you know, you were born in New York, which is not a hotbed of country music. Um <laughs> Where in New York were you born?
1: Um, this is a, a long story, and I'm going to try to make it cute and short. Um, but I was born in Albion, New York, which is outside of Buffalo. A month later, I moved to Florida. A short time later, I moved to Alabama. Then I moved to Kansas. Then I moved back to Florida. Then I moved to Virginia. Then we moved to New York. Then we moved back to Virginia. And I like I lived in 22 houses before I turned 18. And they were varying levels of like living, but we were always in boxes. We were always moving. And the reason for that is really wild and unusual. No, it wasn't like a military family. It was like, kind of like a um, religious zealot kind of gypsy, you know, following God. Like everything we did was just this like, where's God telling us to go? Which, you know, in retrospect is a really funny memory that I work out a lot in therapy, but um yeah we were a traveling essentially like varying levels of homelessness like we'd live in people's other people's houses for a while we'd be you know really really broke and then my dad would like you know score some kind of job or something that would last 5 minutes and then we'd be broke again i mean it was really really financially tumultuous and i'm like a highly absorbent spongy kind of a person and so all my feelings were just like, this is chaos. I don't know what, you know, everything felt like chaos, you know, and um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's where I'm from, so that's a very long story and a book that I am writing, because it's weird and wacky and um, really interesting.
0: Who drove the religious zealot in your, your family? Was it your dad or your mom or both? Both
1: of them, so they met in like a commune kind of setting they were both like saved you know in the so specific 70s. to
0: a a kind of was it christianity or was yeah. it a type was it it was a, very
1: 80s like if you yeah, can kind of think mm-hmm. back on like the jesus he knows me phil collins like genesis song like mm-hmm. that was like the 80s for me it was yeah. like pastel church you know um do you and, remember
0: road trips just like where you guys as a family singing
1: we just were the entire way? yeah like we were we were My family was sort of, we are all gifted, like, and truly, like.
0: Who are all the people in the family?
1: My brother and my sister, my parents and me. Mm -hmm. um, Everyone had different levels of musical gifts that were genuine. Um, My dad is a writer. He's a drummer. He's like a preacher. He's like all of the things. And my mom is a singer, and she's a writer. And my brother played guitar, and he was fucking legit at it. Um, and my sister who is a we were just talking about her, she's a writer in Nashville as well, incredibly multi-talented. And I have the same sort of gifts, uh, uh setting gifts, but we were in such a secluded setting as children like cuz we moved so much, we didn't have community, we didn't have people other than the five of us. So it became Have you ever read The Glass Castle or know about it? What's that? It's a book about a woman who is, I think, the me of her family, kind of going like, what's wrong here? Like, mm. uh, just sort of the belief that we were extra special and that God chose us for this purpose and um, really no understanding what's of- What's this purpose? To serve God. Okay. Yeah. it's a, It's a complicated one, but like my parents still believe- to this day, that like they have this purpose and that society is there to... God, this is so complicated. It's really hard to put into words, but like, we moved a lot because they would make fast friends and fast enemies. So we'd move in and be like, oh my God, 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 Jesus, Jesus, yay, yay, yay. And then that's not my Jesus, we're moving. And then over and over and over again. So friendship wasn't really a big like foundational piece of my childhood community wasn't a foundational piece of my childhood it was all like we need Insular. to serve the family the family the fa- it
0: was all about the family and um i mean not to quote yourself but it's sort of like if the bones are good You know the rest don't matter, and so you're in this. You're in this family, and for sure, your parents are like, it doesn't matter as long as we have exactly us.
1: And they, you know, my dad's a writer. He's written that song in a different way, a different capacity, over and over and over again, because it's how they live. However, I'm finding in my adulthood. You know, there's also the caveat that they were very abusive. So I just want to say like they weren't it wasn't just yeah. Like they weren't it wasn't just fun and games and alternative life and you know, nonconformity. It was also like a lot of abuse and um gaslighting and really, really misunderstood thoughts around how to build a life. Like if the reason why money was like this, (laughs) you know, was because I don't think my dad understands how commerce works, to be honest with you. I don't think, Yeah. you know, they understand. It. And to this day, they're, they're, you know, they don't live in their own home. They don't have, like, they're still doing it. And I mean, when-
0: Is your success something that they feel like is ordained?
1: Ordained? I don't know how they feel because I'm not a Christian. So I have a feeling that I'm, I think that I'm like, they're waiting for me to, come back, I think, somewhere in there. And I Mm. think that they think that I'm hellbound because I don't identify. So
0: you don't communicate with them currently? No.
1: Like, they, they moved into my house... I did my one last attempt to save them when I was when I had children. Mm. I, I convinced my husband, like, we should have them move in and maybe we could just be like one happy, adorable family and it'll be great. And it just did not go well.
0: Was that trying to sort of parent your parents having I've gone been parenting through? my parents yeah. since
1: the day I was born. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think they have really good parenting skills. I'm being really nice here. I'm trying to be nice about it because the therapy that I'm I'm learning that they were, you know incredibly um ill equipped to parent, so i like i it's a lot it's a lot to unpack in a funny short little bit, but uh it's a lot it's a when lot. you look at
0: you know a a state like and this is a broader conversation, but a state like Tennessee that is currently going through um, the idea that you as a parent don't have to be qualified. You know, uh, not to say parents need to like more power to you if you want to procreate and it's purposeful, but um how does you know you live in a state that seems very opposite of your the way you view the planet mm-hmm. um, How do you move through that state
1: um I've had so many feelings and conversations about this since traveling here so often mm-hmm. and um really grappling with it. Uh, It is a tough thing to have a daughter in the South. Yeah, It's a tough thing to have any kid in in the South, but um, the daughter component was really the thing that like kicked me in the crotch, you know, quite literally, Uh, and her crotch as well. Uh, But just the feelings around that are really heavy, but I think like I'm trying to take the weight of the world. It's hard when you empathic feelings are so, it's so you take everything in and you're like, I'm going to do this because this is what's going to fix everything, you know? And I've, I'm learning, like, what can you do, like, as an individual and just be at peace with that's what you can do? And to be honest with you, this circles back beautifully to the fact that I've built community in Nashville. I have my first family. I have my first friendship group. Like, the idea of being like, I'm out is impossible for someone like me because I already ha- I've already done that 23. Three plus times in my life, I don't want to do it again. Yeah, you and don't. So, you also
0: don't have to. And I, I think you're. I, you're right. That you know, I don't have to. You know, you there's not a. Um, uh, it's not an or situation. Mm-hmm. It really can be an and or situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have. You know, there are pluses and minuses everywhere you live. So it's not, it's not, yeah, you're absolutely
1: right. I have to say this before I forget because it's so fun. But I see this shaman and she's like this adorable, like, lady that just kind of gives you cute advice about life. And uh, when I was talking about, I was thinking about like uprooting and coming here. And her, like, you know, advice as she crawled into my soul was uh, she said, go to LA. To find fire to then bring back to the South, to find grounding to then bring back to LA. That's right. To find fire to bring back. And I was like, like that feels Uh, like me. I absolutely love that idea. Like things we were talking about earlier, like being energy that helps someone be calm is a lot of what I have in my community in Nashville.
0: I think the idea is like you're allowed to be who you are. Absolutely. And in all of these places. And I think that's hard for a lot of. Songwriters who aspire to be someone that doesn't exist—you know, there, there's no there, there. Wow. So I think that it helps, you know, to have the experience of working in LA, New York, Nashville, Sweden, mm-hmm. wherever Atlanta, you know, because you you really can bring those attributes. To other places, but you know your family obviously was tumultuous. But it also brought you into the music world. Yes. You know, you know this is this is where the story, mm-hmm. uh, it, this is where the story takes another turn. Is the fact that you were, that band <laughs> that band of humans becomes a literal band and gets a record deal? That's a huge jump. Yeah, from we're singing in a car and we're moving from house to house. There's some structure there. Yeah. in order to get discovered. Especially when you were discovered, it's not like there's, you know, a lot of it, it, people aren't getting signed off, you know, TikTok, let alone MySpace, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. or uh, even YouTube at that point. So explain the jump from we're yeah. a traveling family to we have a record deal with Atlantic Records.
1: Well, at certain points, like we, it was like um, just to, Just to sum up sort of the beginnings, like ministry, if we can use that word, because I think that's like a nice general word for when a person feels called to help others or whatever. My dad would be in like varying states of ministry. So it's like he'd have a normal person job and then that job would piss him off and he'd go back into the ministry, you know? So Mm -hmm. right before we started that band, my dad had a normal person job again. We were living in Vienna, Virginia... He was doing um, incidental music for, like, the Discovery Channel. And, like, it was, like, pretty normal life. Like, I was going to a normal high school. Like, things were normalizing-ish. And um, he, once again, which he he has a habit of doing, uh, anticipated a more secure financial situation than it was in real life. And the company he worked for went bankrupt and boom. Like we had to sell our houses. We had to sell our cars. Like I was, I was planning on going to college. You know, I wanted to go and do theater. Like I was, I had an AMDA scholarship. I was really proud of uh, like American drama, musical, blah, blah, blah in New York. I was so stoked to leave, you know, then this happens again. And my dad has another idea, which is just like how we were raised. It's like, we should be a band. You know, you play guitar, you sing, you sing. I write songs. Let's just see if we can make some extra money on the weekends, which we did. We played at this Italian restaurant called That's Amore. (laughs) And um, we paid, I think we were paid 200 bucks a week and they would feed us. And when we were this low, that was actually like- It's a big deal. It was a really big deal. And the pressure of that, once again, returning to the pressure of taking care of the family, doing something for the family- Like, if you asked me directly then, like, do you want to be in this band? My answer would have been, hell yeah. Who wouldn't want to be in a band, you know? But it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my dream, you know? And everything about it... Your dream
0: at the time was to do theater I wanted to leave. I was ready... How old were you at that point? 18.
1: I was 17, Uh. 18. I was working at Starbucks. I was, like, I was very fastidious. I was, like, Uh. organized, and I was saving money. Like, I was doing it. Like, I'm going to get out. And... um. You know, dad convinced us all to do this thing. We played at that restaurant like four weeks. Every It was like every Saturday for four weeks, and by the fourth week, it was just nuts. People were like really wanting to get in there because not only is it the kitschy thing of like, oh, my God, this is a family band. We were actually really a fucking good. good. Yeah. We were a good band. Like my dad's a legit drummer, and like we managed to make it sound cool. This is one of my favorite fun facts about myself. Um, my... Dad bought me a guitar in order to serve that band. I'm left-handed. You can't just like pick up a... (laughs) He had to buy me a left-handed guitar, which he did. Like somehow Uh. scraped some money. It was a APX 10. It was a Yamaha, a little... Uh. Bought it. And I don't know how many weeks it was later, but within... It may have been one week. I don't remember. I wish I could remember this accurately, but it was a very short amount of time. And I was playing a two-hour show within a couple of weeks of buying a guitar. yeah, Like that's an insane expectation, but I remember being so terrified. I have a lot of like stage fright stuff and I would turn around to my dad and I would just be like, I can't do this. And he would be like, do it. And he, like I would be like turned around. Like it was scary, it was scary. It was yeah. very much like you have to do this, you know? What are we gonna do if I mean, you don't do li- this? Yeah, it's
0: almost life and death for the family. At that's least what they, it feels they, like at least when they you're a made kid. You, they, at least they made you feel yeah. that way. The, the band was called Cecilia or Saint Cecilia, depending Cecilia on what. Cecilia had iterations. But when um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't all religious music. A lot of it mm-hmm. was secular, which well, is fascinating. Which is fascinating <laughs> for uh, people who feel like they're the uh, vessel for for God to create music that mm-hmm. is secular that feels contrarian. Um, it, at the time, I guess, why would why was it not religious music? I
1: have a theory about this that's kind of odd. Okay. Um, my dad was a drug addict in the 70s. He got clean because he got saved. The family happened, and then there was a point where he started smoking weed. And in my head, I have it in my head that his enjoyment of... Drugs was like... And a lot of alcohol. We, there were always a lot of alcohol in our house. But like, it was like a party culture a lot. And I think it was like, oh, I can just write these uplifting songs. I can be like... I don't have to like carry the banner, so to speak. And I think it was like a win-win in his head. Like, oh, I can do this. Like, we all smoked weed like as ki- like kids. It wasn't cool. Like the fact that we, yeah. we were like sharing... You know, all of that. That's Uh, a little intense. But I think it was in my, and it's a theory. I can't say that as a fact, but there's something in me that thinks he was like, I get to have best of both worlds kind of an energy. He's kind of a, a, he's a grown man child. So a lot of this just is, I think a little bit. I mean, of that.
0: I, I, hate, I, I, this isn't a joke, but I almost want to say, like, aren't we all? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's yeah. there's that's the it's hard nice. part for all of us. is yeah. Is to reconcile with the fact that we're we have responsibilities to the to our humans that are younger in our family. Yeah. And then we have to at some point make choices that are difficult. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends, and repeat guest on And the Writer is, Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans, including... Christopher Cross, The Go gos Run the Jewels, John Bellion, John Ryan, Mozilla, Julian Bonetta's Family Affair, Cara Diaguardi's Our House, Future Cut, Sam Waters, Ruth Ann, Brian Morgan, and various other amazing songwriters. In fact, they have publishing deals with Keto, Robopop, Sofia Valdez, Charlie Brand, Tilly, and more. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, we have songwriters added to the album of the year for the Grammys, and now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital, streaming, sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website or DM them on Instagram or call 844 844- For all music. That's right, it's 844 for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, they help you with your career at all levels, from those just starting out to the biggest hitmakers. Just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. That's a really good point that
1: parents have to make choices. I think... My parents made really interesting and fascinating, yeah. but shitty choices for us. Would
0: you have done anything different knowing who you are now? No. Yeah, of course.
1: I mean, I, I'm grateful for the education. To be honest with you, I was like a walking anxiety ball. Like people would be like, "Are you okay?" You know, because I was managing the band. I was as soon as I got that guitar, I was the lead guitar. Like, not lead guitar. Excuse me, like uh, uh, rhythm guitarist. Rhythm guitarist. I started writing songs. I
0: started what was the first managing. Song oh, that you wrote?
1: I wrote this song called Beautiful Blue. How's it go? It's very emotional. Well, how's it? it was basically like this shattered dream that I couldn't go to New York. It was like this sad thing that I was like, oh my God, I wish I could just go to New York. All of my songs, all throughout the writing in that band, were escapist. Like, And it's amazing looking back, going like I was trying. To tell my my inner child was trying to say, You can leave, you know, but I didn't leave till I was how, like, how does the song? Um, oh God. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. Like it, I was so sad. I was I was talking about my high school experience. There were lyrics in there, talking about how vanilla everyone is, because it's another thing in our family, like villainizing anyone. Yeah. Normal, villainizing money, villainizing sameness. Like it was all that. I was like, fuck you and your whiteness and your, you know, vanilla, blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, I want to be in New York where everything is blue. Like, and it, it was this right. color thing. I was like, white, blue. I don't know. It was really was sweet. Was there though.
0: like a, not like a synesthesia kind of thing, but. What does that mean? When you see colors when you hear music?
1: It may be something like that without my knowing.
0: Yeah, when um it's really interesting that villainizing people for thinking that they're the same and I think the the mistake that we all make is assuming that there's that there's um that there's any pocket anywhere where people are are normal and do normal things. Yeah. And I think we all assume that oh, there's this place if you go in the outskirts Those people, they're all brainwashed and do the same thing. Well, no, even in their brainwashed world, there are nuances that make them really just as strange as you are. They may not have the vocabulary to describe their weirdness, or they may not have the experience to explore their weirdness, but that weirdness is just there in every human. Yes. And I think we all just assume that there's this, you know, especially in music where you you think that where somebody says, like, you know, like we're wizards and they're muggles. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, totally. And it's we're like, I don't,
0: I don't know that that's like, I don't know if muggles exist. I,
1: I agree with you.
0: Thing.
1: I think that the, the generation coming I want in, to think that there
0: are, but there aren't. I know. You know. I think that's
1: just a way of saying my club's the best club and I just, I don't want to be in a club. Like yeah. I've spent my whole childhood in a club. Ugh, gross, yeah. no thanks. Um, but all that to say, I think the next generation has this fucking lit. In a way that I am like the generation coming in, the, 20, the 18, 20 year olds right now, their whole sameness difference thing that is just defined in a cooler way. I'm like, yeah. I'm on their team. Like, this is just, we're all, we're all something unique. And that's it. It's like the Lizzo generation. I'm just here
0: for it. Yeah. You know? um, so you managed this band, this <laughs> family band into getting a record deal. What's the, you know, people coming and seeing your band, and this is an era where people, an A and R person, could actually experience a band and say, "You know what? I'm going to sign this because there wasn't the analytics the way people yeah, have now." So, so it doesn't matter that you know it isn't viral mm-hmm. per se. But and how did someone get discovered? Yeah. at that point.
1: For clarity, like I managed the band much. I managed the band. After we were signed, after we lost our management, so let me circle back. Uh-huh. My dad was doing everything. He has all these pockets of friends all over the country, mostly Christians that he prayed for or mm. stuff like that. Um, so he would just call. Like I remember, we went to Nashville for a week. It was my first time in Nashville, and he called all these people to get us to play here, 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 here. And by the end, we had we had offers like. We had offers, like, and it was within a a couple months of those shows at the Italian restaurant. Like, it happened really fast, and he had it in his head. I mean, there's some really funny articles about his perception, like, of what was going to happen to us. He had this just grand, really grand view of us taking over the world, you know, and it being like, I'm going to be batting away deals, you know, so cute. Uh, It's really sweet, because a lot of us think that, but it's funny to see a grown man... Say it. With, so yeah, it's weird. Uh but yeah, look up article, articles. It's, easy, are nuts. it's
0: easier to say it before you have kids. I think once you are again yeah. are responsible for kids to then say that it's like is a you know, it's obviously a strange. A strange and perspective. you know,
1: he was basing it on the fact that we were good, which we were. And I I think that's really charming. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a, a little dense not to take a poll with your kid. Like, do you want this? Yeah. You know, that's a little dense, but Was he I mean, young? My dad?
0: Yeah, is he, is he like, where No, is
1: he, he's your yeah. average, like, he was probably, like, he was older than me when, I mean, how, let's see, my mom was 30 when I, when she had me, so, yeah, they, so were like, they were, like, they were, like, 48, yeah, 50 yeah. years old when this was all 20, happening. 20 year olds no, it they 20 20-year-olds. No, they were, they were full-on adults. <laughs> um, yeah, grown-ups. Uh. Uh, so we, he wanted to be signed out of New York, and literally, it was just a locational choice. He's, like, we're not a country band. New York's better, New York's whatever. And so somehow we managed to play for Craig Kalman, which is just lol to me today to this day. I'm just like, this is fucking hilarious. But we played, you know, there was a lot of stuff said that my dad took very literally, which I think is sort of like a company line, but I don't think he really understood that. Like they let us play longer than we were supposed yeah. to, but that's always kind of a funny thing that I've heard that all over. Yeah he said something like, you know, I really believe, Craig Cowan said, like, this is the kind of band you sign where you know there's going to be box sets at the end of it. Like, this is going to be like a career band. And, you know, went straight to my dad's heart, you know. I have a funny story related to the way my, the way our perception worked at this moment. Like, those meetings were celebrated, like, as though we would... Never have to lift a finger again. Never have to carry our own gear. We're never going to hurt for money. We're never going to have to sell any. Like we are, we're done. Like a record deal was doneness, you know.
0: That was the goal. So that was. I mean, 100. that's a mistake again. That a everybody lot of, makes. everybody makes. Totally. is That they the perception is that you get signed. Uh, I mean, yes. Everybody I know who's who had their first deal. Yeah. Had that in their head that mm-hmm. this was the deal, and you're trying to explain to people. No, like, no, no, this is, this the, is the hard work. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like
1: the actual step one. Yeah.
0: You got drafted to the minors. You <laughs> yeah. have to work your way up to the majors, exactly. and then become an all star, and then become a hall of famer. But you get signed into the minors. You don't get signed into the all star team. Yeah,
1: and so yeah. as soon as like some of the things, the bait and switches that happen, especially in the late '90s, early 20, uh, 2000s, of like you know. uh you know, we want it to be this. We think you have so many hits. We need you to write a hit. Like those switches that happen that happen to all of us. It's not like that. Now that I've been in the business long enough, I'm like, I don't know a person that isn't told that to, but my, my dad took that really hard that you signed us on these songs, you thought these songs were it, and now you want us to write more songs. Why would you do that? And then my sister and I are 18, 20-year-old girls at this point younger than that. My sister was 16, like... Taken out of high school for this, like, again, great decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not a great parenting decision, but like, they were young and were, you know, cool and interesting, and the label wanted to bring us forward. And my dad was horribly offended that me and my sister would be like the lead. And so, every, was he the
0: lead as a drummer? Was he? It the, was
1: more like he wanted it he to wanted be it to the be family. He just wanted it yeah. to be like it's all of us equally. And every time anyone would bring attention to me, he would get really jealous. Every time he would, someone would want something to be done a way that he didn't envision it, he would just get really upset. And I think that, you know, just jumping ahead, like we played with them for a little while. We never released a record. Like it was just constantly kind of arguing, switching managers, like the whole thing. And eventually like, we basically asked to get dropped cuz he was just like I can't work with you know but it was the same energy of like my whole life I love you you're the best you're the greatest thing I hate you I'm leaving and we're done you know like I'm just so used to that as as like a retrospective view of my parenting like who parented me I love you I hate you is a real big thing so we left the label and that's when my managerial like I had to really figure out how to keep us going in this way. Like we were busking, we were playing on the street in New York and we were like going on tours where we couldn't afford to come back. I mean, it was really terrifying. Like I can, if I really let my body like remember those times, it's scary. Like I can feel it going like, we're stuck we're stuck. What are we going to do? You know, and my dad's just like, "Hey man, school, but you know," and we'll then yelling at us, and you know, it'd be one of we'll, the other. We'll figure
0: it out. You need to figure it <laughs> out. We'll figure it out. You need to figure well it said. out. Well said. I think uh. it's that.
1: And so I had this belief that if I could just like figure it out, everything would make sense. You know, and so I did nothing. But I didn't date. I didn't have friends. I literally spent my entire life going. I'll figure out how to do this. I'll we'll make a this. We'll do this. We'll go here. And like I remember my little clipboard, like my little fucking, you know, three ring binder of like ideas and thoughts of how can we get this band on the map? Because if we don't, my family's fucked. Like that was my whole, you know, world. How did you get out? I met a boy named Adam who um is to this day like someone I look back on that like saved my life. He and I were not... He's one of your Yodas. He was, but he was also my first husband. So I met him. He was working um, on Wall Street. He like made a lot of money. I was literally living on somebody's couch when I met him. We would go on dates and I'd be like, I don't know if I like you, like you, but I like... Love you somehow, yeah. you know? And so my first marriage was a whole lot of I don't like you like that, but I love you. Like we're still very, very close friends. Um, and he just asked me some really casual questions that made me go, huh? He just said, Can I ask you? And he was real soft. He's still he's still very soft spirit. He was like, Can I ask you an awkward question? I was like, sure. And he was like, Why doesn't your dad have a job? And I was like, How dare you How dare you ask such a... Like, I still had the Kool-Aid... Such a
0: clear, short, concise question that sums up my childhood. Everything. (laughs) How dare you ask? How dare you ask this question? My dad's
1: a genius. My dad's a chosen one. My dad's this... And he he was like, okay, cool. And all of a sudden, the wheels started spinning. Like, I have to get out of this. And I think I was 26 when the lights really went... (gasps) oh my God, if I don't get out of this, I'm going to be stuck here forever. And so I started winding down the subtly. Because if my dad, if he knew what I was doing, I think he would have, well, he was very mad at me a lot, but he would have been very angry. Were you guys all
0: living together at that point?
1: We lived together when we first moved to New York, and then it was varying bits. Like uh, It was all varying bits. My sister and I lived together in New York.
0: You um, guys at some point were like, we're going to not live with you guys, we're... we're- not gonna live with you guys. Yeah, but I
1: mean, we were the ripe age of like twenty twenty one when yeah, when those decisions yeah, sure. were made. So yeah, it was late. Everything yeah. was late. My brother had a baby, which made the whole like we need to kind old of. How old was he at that point? I think he was like twenty two.
0: Shit! So yeah. he had to take care of uh, yes. two families. Yeah, two. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So
1: we all split up in New York, but then me and my ex husband Adam um, got together, and he was very active in helping me manage the band but also manage my exit. Like, I don't know how to explain that. It's like weird, but he really saw a lot. He saw a lot of the abuse. He saw a lot of the, um, my dad would just rage. Like he was just, he's Italian and I, that's no excuse. I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, hilarious, you know, cause I used to say that like, oh, Italians, we're just hot blooded people. We yell, you know? And it's like, yeah. that's horseshit. You're yelling because you can't control your emotions you know but it was a lot of yelling it was a lot of like how could you leave us you know in this you know situation so it was all like
0: did you have to learn how to communicate not like that Mm -hmm.
1: i remember the day i chose to stop communicating that way and i i failed when i would drink i would get drunk and i would start raging but like 22 23 I started deciding I'm not going to yell at anyone anymore and I'm not going to be Do you I'm, drink now? Not that much. I drink a little bit for like celebratory stuff. I love dirty martinis. <laughs> dirty gin martinis <laughs> yeah, which is like it the most alcoholic
0: it, drink to want, but like But once you get in the habit of communicating what you uh what you mean to say and not, uh what is. you feel, Mhm. then you, you you probably can dabble without, yeah, without totally. the,
1: and it isn't every time but back in the day it was like we all drank quite a lot I mean it's lol when I think back I'm like oh my god we were all alcoholics that's insane like it was an every night yeah. event to just drink until you basically passed out but I mean when you're living with that much stress there is a little bit of like well yeah sure I'm sorry I'm jumping around a lot all that to say I I figured out how to stop yelling at least most of the time and then I figured out how to moonwalk out of my role in that band. And I had to ask myself, like, what do you wanna do? Because Adam, who I married at this point, just quit his job on Wall Street and he had like some money. So, and he was just kind of like, what do you wanna do? Like, we were like besties. It was really cute. It was like, what do you wanna do? And I was like, I don't know. You know, I was so upset because everything in my life was so beholden to this group, you know? But I was like, I think I really enjoy writing songs, and that is it. And I called a woman that um, was an old family friend from Nashville, and I was like, I know this is a job. You made it a job. I know you're, like, fine. Who is that? Her name's Kai Fleming. Okay. She's in the Hall of Fame. She wrote for, like, Linda Ronstadt and, like—
0: Wait, how did you know this—
1: Christian family, like we have all these pockets. They're all over the fucking world. Like Christian family, still friends.
0: to this day, where people are like, "Oh, I'm friends with your parents." Yeah,
1: they. Re- I get reached out to all the time. Like, "Oh, I'm buddies with your dad," and I'm always like, "Well, how much money did he get out of you?" Because <laughs> he's kind of a con artist. I mean, he's a little bit of a con artist. He is a lot. What do they a say when you ask her? They think he's like the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. Yeah, because
0: that's what con artists yeah.
1: do. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but Kai was really wonderful and gentle, and said, if you like co-writing, you could make songwriting a job. If you don't like co-writing, then... Because my dad was so fucking hateful about having to co-write, so I think she kind of knew that that might be my problem, too, and I was like, I want to try it. I want to try it. And um, me and Adam just jumped in a car, drove to Nashville, and I wrote with a couple of her writers... And a couple of her artists, and it was one of those like, I know what to do. You know, like yeah. weeping in my car, like so relieved that I knew yeah, that I that's could. that's really interesting. Yeah, so relieved. And then I left, and then they followed me. But anyway, that's another story.
0: <laughs> they followed you because you had a good idea, or they followed you because you were starting to make money?
1: You I, I don't want to crawl into their heads and make that decision uh-huh. for them, but, but um, both, probably. I think a little bit of both, and I think like you know, being near family, again, they ha- their community just disappears. It falls through their fingers so often that I'm sure it was just like, well, we don't have that. I mean, again, this is so funny how much we're going into detail here, but when I left, I knew my parents would be homeless again. I knew that. And lo and behold, they, they lived in their car for a long time after I left. And at 28 years old, I had to go, you have to keep, you can't turn back because they will, you'll be their caretakers forever if you don't say you're on your own. Like and That's I mean, when
0: you moved to Nashville. Uh, you know, there's this idea where you're born with, um, you're born with, taste be done in the talent Mm. necessarily to Mm. get to the taste and that's part of where a lot of professionals they know where they know how good the song is supposed to be. And they get frustrated that the songs that they're writing don't sound like the radio, or they're frustrated they don't sound like hits. Even now, it's not like every song we write sounds like a hit, and you're like, why is this not a hit? Yeah. I know the concept was good, but what is missing right. here? And you just don't hit it all the time. And you hope that as you get further, you have you start to hone in the skill set that allows you the tools that allow you to um capture the taste that you have. By the time you moved to Nashville, you, you were somebody who aspired to be a musician with many years of experience. Uh-huh. It wasn't like the people who moved to Nashville or LA who want to be famous but have to go through, or sorry, successful, depends if they're artist or a, mm. a writer, but who they aspire to be a professional without the skills yet. Part of what makes a publisher a good publisher is that they can help facilitate an experience where they can learn that skill set. Yes. But you came in with more of a toolbox than most people who had just arrived. Who on the publishing side first started seeing oh, this person isn't just somebody who moved to Nashville because mm-hmm. they want to be in country. Yeah. This woman. Only knows how to be a songwriter, <laughs> you know. Yeah, which at the time was probably correct.
1: Yes, I, I think. I don't know it. what other
0: skill sets you had. You know, were you divorced with that, or did he? move No, we with stayed you?
1: together for a while. Yeah. that's all a whole another kettle. But he of-
0: com- he comes fish. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird saying. But it is. he he comes into like comes with you to Nashville and like what's the the difference between okay I'm I'm responsible for my family I have to make this choice now I'm oh wow I'm I'm an individual
1: that was that I I can say for sure and I, you've had so many I want to make sure I circle back to all those questions because there's there's great answers for all of them but like when I moved to Nashville, I think I was experiencing what most people feel when they go to college or that or high, let's call it high school like even just walking around a high school, And going, hey buddy, friend, cool. See you at the thing later. Blah, like all that weird, like social stuff that comes with just being with others started when I was twenty eight. Like I don't think I experienced anything like uh, college, anything like high school, even until I moved here. Like I made so many friends in such a short period of time, like. My, me and Adam, who again worked on Wall Street, so he had like some money to like fuck around with for a little while, and he was just having fun. I was having fun. Like I don't know how we managed, but like it was like let's just buy a like you have some money, like, you should buy a house, and we should just live in it. See what comes of this. See what comes of you. Like let's just be creatives. And one of the contributing factors too is that in New York, everyone is so. This is sounds so mean, but it's really just a it's a money thing. Everyone is so old. Because no one can afford to fucking live there. Nashville, at that time, was literally just teeming with youths, you know what I mean? Like, all of our friends were, like, 20 and 21, sweetest kids ever, like, come over, we'll make you pasta, and then we'd, you know, everybody would just, like, dance, like, the kind of things that just come with being, like... Youthful. Youthful. And I... I like I came alive when I moved here and moved to Nashville. I like came alive. I was like, oh, this is living. This is freedom, you know? And man, it was just the best time. And I think the to circle back to one of your questions, one of the greatest skills I brought to my career was enjoying myself like most people when they move to Nashville are like, I just got to get on the board. I need a publishing deal. I want to have a hit. And I was just like, this is so fun. Yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, I was just having so much fun. I, somewhere in me was like, "I'm I'm driven because I always was because I had to fucking manage, you know, children, you know, all growing up. But like, my managerial skills really came into going like, oh, you should, you know, get a job. You should totally get it. You should bartend. Let's bartend because then you can make some money and then you can do it at night and then you can write songs during the day with your buddies. And like, I was fully aware that nothing would gel for a long time. Kai told me that. She's like, just write another song. Like, don't think about it. Just enjoy. And I was like, Okay. You know, enjoy and so, the
0: process. Yes. And, yeah. And at that point, your, your past allowed you to enjoy the process without worrying about the results, especially because you had, there was some, at that point, some stability financially. Yes. And that was you lucky. You could do that. That's
1: without a doubt. That's the
0: dream. It is the dream.
1: And I thank Adam for that all the time. We talk about it a lot. I'm like, man, you just totally fucking saved my life. Like, yeah. and all of that fun led to, four or five years of bartending and writing songs with this band called Eden's Edge. I literally, and I, I feel like, do you know who they are? Mm-hmm. No, okay. Um, Kai was like mentoring them at the time um, and uh, they're from Arkansas and they were just these sweet kids that I loved. And I was like, my band, like the infighting in my band was so hellacious. That like this felt like nothing. I was like, oh my God, oh, you'll work it out. That's yeah. adorable. Um, but they got signed to Big Machine after the four years. And to circle back to your original question, the person I met, I met through just hanging around with that band. So Mike Molinar, who oh, is wow. now yeah, the head of, of like Big Machine Music and beyond, because it's in so many conglomerates now, but like. We're on
0: the, the NMPA board together. Right. I love it. He is Mike.
1: a fucking star. He's yeah. amazing. He was writer managing out of Nashville, which is like interesting.
0: At the time that was really time. revolutionary. Yes, yeah. it
1: was very unusual. Um we were at a dinner with the band and he and I just kept talking and scooting closer and closer to each other because I liked the way he thought and he liked the way I thought. And he was like, Do you want to meet? And I was like, Yes. And he was like, I have not heard any of your music, but I think you're I think you're like a world class songwriter. And I don't even know why. And I was like, well, cool, you know? Yeah. And at that point, I had written one song I thought was good. Literally, after four or five years of me thinking like, What was that pretty, song? It's called Liar.
0: Did it ever come out? Yeah. With who?
1: With Eden's Edge. They cut it on oh, oh, okay. your yeah, first cool. record. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good song. Yeah. That's a good song. Everything else was like trying to, like I was, was learning. The t- it
0: was the taste versus the yeah. skill set. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like first
1: song, I was like, wow, four that. Four
0: years and you're like, "This." I have one song. yeah. That's that's and then now it's like that ratio changes. The anyway, ratio keep going. changes. Uh, yeah, so, so like, that one yeah. song,
1: um, he hadn't even heard it. We met the next day. He's like, "I just think you talk like a songwriter. You act like a songwriter. Hearing your story, you have all the skills. And the ones I think he was really acknowledging were like, you know how this business works. You've been signed. You know how difficult." <laughs> Uh, labels are, you know, how challenging it is to be in a band. You know, bands break up. You know, like all of those little details you learn from just being in the soup. Yeah. Um, he was like, "Wow, yeah, you, uh, you come with all these." So then he started hearing my songs, and I think that was like a a really foundational piece of the business he made because I've been working with him since the very beginning. I signed to BJ Hill um, because Mike had. Like he was a writer manager, like, and there was no money in that. And I was getting really tired of bartending, you know? In retrospect, I wish I had waited one more year. Like, if I had just kept working for just one more year, I would have had the deal I really wanted, but I didn't know that. And was like, hindsight. That's a
0: really hard place to totally. be. That is not a, that is it's not real. That's but not yeah. real. Mm-mm. That's not real. That relationship with, you know, Warner Chapel is how, Move everything else. It did, and it's like.
1: But you know, when you find your champion, like you're a publisher now. Like I'm sure there's someone who's just like. And then I met Ross, and everything felt right. Like Mike was always that, and I saw he was the first person I met, and my instincts were right about him. But I was just a little eager, is what I mean. I was just eager to like get on the board and have a publishing deal, and I loved my time with Warner Chapel. They were. I learned a lot from. How a big company works. I also learned I don't like being in the big company. I really liked the small Mm -hmm. setting, Um, so I learned a lot. And you know, I had two number one songs with them, one and number two, but they they pay the same. So I had two like uh, two hits with them before I moved forward. So
0: in this segment of what would B.J. Hill ask (laughs) Laura Veltz, he did ask. (laughs) you're amazing at telling stories while using words that are perfectly flavored to fit the hook. Is that something you've focused on or something that comes more naturally to you as a lyricist? Mm.
1: Um, I think it's both. I mean, I feel like I've always been obnoxiously detailed about feelings, Um, but I do think that's something I've honed. But I mean, Circling back to Little Beautiful Blue, my funny little song about New York, definitely it was in there too. So it's always been in there, I think.
0: The you know, you get signed in two thousand twelve. Two thousand eleven? Two thousand twelve? God, I don't know. Okay, something like that. <laughs> I think twelve. I mean, we get signed around the same time. for yeah. Warren Warner Chapel too. I think I was like, you know, a year before that mm-hmm. or something. Like, you know, so it was that one writing camp where they brought pop yeah. and country writers yeah. together. Yeah, and, and David Hodges and I uh, love, love him. Uh, shout out David. Um, <laughs> uh, also in Nashville now. Yes. Um, it really wasn't that long till you had a number one song. It was obviously written early enough that you feel like you should have waited a year, <laughs> you know, be, otherwise you wouldn't have that. That's an interesting That point. thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the song, you know, comes out, there, Drunk Last Night by Eli Young. Is that the, how did that moment feel for you as an individual? How did it feel for you in your relationship? And how did it feel for you as a, as a daughter?
1: Um, I. It was, uh, A tremendous relief that I was right, that I could do this, and it was also that funny thing that songwriters do, where it's like, "I don't deserve to be here. I'm everything that ever happened to everyone." Like we're the, you know, like that ego trip of like, "I'm a piece of shit," like the imposter syndrome. I think is a nice combo. I felt really, really proud that I'm female and that I wrote a song for a like that was my goal, like to figure out how to write a song where I still feel there's a level of integrity that I could stand behind, but then it's still kind of like, you know, a song that fits in the format, which is a tricky thing. It's tricky in country, like to be poetic and to be... Really pedestrian, like the combination (laughs) is really interesting and I feel like I nailed that and I was really, I was sure about that song. I remember playing that song before it got recorded and just showing the demo to Mike and saying like, look, if this isn't it, then my nose is off. Like if this isn't the thing that I've been trying to do, then we need to reset how I'm hearing country music. And lo and behold, it was like no, I was I was right. That felt really yeah. Good. I mean, with
0: that and Chris Young, and these are like kind of the beginnings of their both of their careers too. It wasn't like at the time you're you know those hits aren't with the biggest artists in the world. Those artists became some of the biggest in the country because of the work that you were doing with them. And both those things are probably the two most valuable things you can do as a hit songwriter is either reinvigorate somebody who's gone. Who's, who looks like their career is done? Yeah. Or you bring in, you know, the heat in the beginning, and you create, you know, their journey. But it wasn't like that. It was super easy after that. It's not like you had a slew of like the the slew of cuts and hits. Really, you still had a couple years of really grinding through yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's like it's one thing when you give us th- the hit, <laughs> and it's another one is. Take it away. Yes, <laughs> like, truly. You know, to not have the hits for a couple years after that. Uh, the late great Allie Willis, when we had her on this, and she was, you know, she's like, Oh, it's not the it's not the years of you have the hits. That's when everyone asks the question. It's the years where you don't have the hits and then you write the stuff. Yeah. Why did it why did you take this why the career step in a way Backwards for a couple of years. It feels like there should have been a lot of momentum. Interesting. What happened during that time?
1: I've asked myself that a lot. And I ask myself that at intervals that are equally like, hmm, that should have rolled out a different way or whatever. Um, but then I, in the, in the same breath, I'm like, I don't know. Like music is so fickle. And it, maybe it's because I started, you know, flapping my cute little creative wings and started going like, there's more for me. Maybe that's when I met Marin and we started investing time in each other. Maybe that's when I started like asking myself what I wanted to say, because like, I love Drunk Last Night, but that's not what I want to say. And I love Lonely Eyes. And I'll be honest with you, when I think about some of the way that song was written, it is like something I wanted to say. I wanted to be like, More interested in the details of what a woman was doing rather than just cool shorts. Mm -hmm. And I like what I did there. That was maybe the first taste of me doing something that I was like, this is more unusual. This is a unique slant. And no one knows but me, because it sounds like, you know, I'm playing a little game when I write songs all the time. Like, would I want this to be said? Do I want this to be heard? Is this going to be helpful?
0: You know? It's just hard to have that. So hard to have that confidence, even if it comes second nature, it's still not easy to be to know what the what you think the industry wants versus digging your heels in and being okay with the consequences of being yourself.
1: You earn that right, though, don't you think? It's like in the beginning, it's like you don't have a platform to yell anything from if you don't take a minute and play by somebody else's rules. And it's like I did that for a little while, and then all of a sudden it felt like I had a little bit of bandwidth to like uh, say something new. I also feel like my like childhood mismanagement of money, which I fi- I find this is my pantomime, Childhood, yeah. uh, this is what that means. I'm yeah. um, doing a hand roller coaster. And doing a hand For those roll, of you coaster, at home. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I keep doing it. Yeah. Um, but I think that that really informed how I handled the first two bumps of good luck that I had financially. And they were to run screaming to a financial advisor <laughs> so uh, that I could live knowing I wasn't fucking it up. Yeah. And I think that some of that, like I am not like a big spender. I'm not like... I've become a little bit more comfortable with that stuff, but in the beginning, it was just like, absolutely not. I am every bit of this is going to making sure my life doesn't go backwards, you know. And so I think that that informs
0: yeah, the opposite some can, freedom. The opposite can happen also, or all the time. You, well, if you're somebody who's raised with money, and then you go to a financial advisor, and you're you're raised to think that that's how you do things as well. It's mm-hmm. like you still, you know. It's hard to be in a situation in life in general where money isn't a bad word. Yep. And you know? you're
1: saying it and you either exactly. Tra- you, you know,
0: you you treat it one way or the other. But if it gives you the freedom to be a better musician, that's that's a win.
1: Well, lucky for me I found somebody whose whole MO is to mitigate worry so that people can stay creative Mm -hmm. tracy hackney is the guy i'm doing this podcast with because i want his like his teachings to you know uh, go throughout our little community because it's really nice to have somebody who gives a shit about making sure that people like us can keep making things and as i mean he didn't give me all that complicated of advice but those beginning stages were just like put this here put this there hold on tight, keep doing your thing, enjoy your day, enjoy your day, enjoy your day. And I listened to him. So I think some of that freedom comes from me not, you know, buying a boat with my first hit, you know, and then finding myself in trouble. I never got in trouble, like ever, with money. I've always been really like, I want to feel secure. I want my life to feel secure.
0: When you think of Marin and her career, um, it's That first album that launched everything, a lot of it was with Busby. A lot was with you and Jimmy, and you know there was this this uh, crew of people who are familial. You know she obviously gravitated to a certain type. Uh, Your relationship with Jimmy became, you know, and Marin is really kind of solidified. And there are a lot, you know, um, you could have walked in and done a bullseye target session and then walked out and that would have been fine but you developed these relationships with with both of them did you know you know right away that this was something that you wanted to dig in further
1: um i mean those are separate people and i've had equally like profound feelings of that when i met Marin, and then equally when i met jimmy yeah. like uh Maren, you know, Ryan heard was like, you got to meet this girl Maren. Like he's been my friend forever. And she was on my books and like I just went to a show and I saw her and she's like this little pint-sized thing with this gigantic guitar. And we were writing like the next week and I was like, whoa. Like I immediately knew if there is a version of country that I want to be a part of, it is this. It's like the Adele of country. It's like a standalone type of country. I don't think it even fits in a column She's just her and she's spunky and she's interesting and she likes to say things that make people go, what? And like, I love that, you know, ethos. Yeah, she's
0: pretty, she's fearless as a writer and as, and as a been, you know.
1: And she's willing to stand up for things that I, you know, would stand up for myself. And when I can be in like, the wake of that is so thrilling. And I've told her, and I've said this a hundred times, but I would literally walk through fire for her. Like... I believe in what she believes in and I always feel like uh, emblazoned to like support her and uplift her and make sure she has the songs and make sure that she's, you know, best of the best, like the way that, you know, she deserves like the platform she's earned. I believe she deserves it. And I just, the quality of the music is always high, no matter who she writes with, no matter what she does, you know, this work with and God, I just, and she's also my, my, You know, my buddy. I love her. She's a family friend. You know, and then Jimmy is a totally different subject. I I remember knowing Jimmy was like this golden boy in the beginning. You know, where he was just like hit, 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 hit. You know, and I didn't even care about that. But somebody told me about the way that he writes. That he's fun and stupid and silly and dorky. Have you written with Jimmy? Yeah, yeah. He's like a dork. Then it's the greatest thing. He's like a total little bro. And um, I went on this trip to Mexico with the big machine family and knew he was going to be on the trip and low key I was like I I'm not here to meet these artists I am not he- I'm here to see if Jimmy and I are going to bond you know because I knew I just knew we were going to be really compadre level like coworker you know I knew we were going to work well together
0: Well, that's convenient cuz in this segment of what would Jimmy ask <laughs> Laura Valsan and the writer is he has a slew of questions, yes. so we'll just try to keep them short. Oh, man. But here it comes. We're going to just go down the list. How do you stay inspired to write, having written so many songs? Living. Why are you so good at making bread?
1: Because I like giving it.
0: Why didn't you bring bread here for me is a side question, but we'll get to that later. Because I was I like in a carbs. hotel,
1: and if I was in an Airbnb, I would have done it. Okay,
0: cool. <laughs> What do you do when the wave of the music being made in Nashville steers away from the music you like making?
1: I make what I want to make.
0: How do you pick which artists and writers to invest your time and heart into?
1: Levels of vulnerability.
0: Is Jimmy your favorite person? Close. He said, I'll settle for a co writer, but a person <laughs> is better
1: pretty close. He is uh, he is one of my my favorite people.
0: With so much massive success under your belt, what goals do you still have? What gets you out of bed in, in the morning and into the writing room?
1: I think uh this is so serious and I don't mean to be serious, but I do think like we're living in a much more obvious broken world. It's just broke there's a lot of stuff broke and I feel like, you know, artists and writers and people who create are like tone setters and I like the idea of like listening to the wind and trying to figure out what we all need to hear and put that into simple enough terms to like inspire someone to be kinder or you know take a chance or stand up for somebody or you know help change somebody's tire I just really like the idea that we're here to help and that's my favorite thing about songwriting
0: what's your favorite uncut song I like that question
1: Ooh. oh my god there's so many
0: I think that's the thing. There's so I many. think you just said it right there. You don't even have to say the one. I, I, there's. Um,
1: yeah, you could. We could have a whole podcast I on sent, that. Subject. I sent
0: a song. I sent a song to an artist last night, and he's and it was, it's a, with a, an existing female vocal as a duet, and he was like, "I love this song. Do you think she'd be interested?" And I hit up the, the artist, and she said, "Let me check with my team." Whatever. I love this song. I'm not gonna say what it is because if it ever comes out and it ever works, what's amazing is that song. The numbers that are next to it look so random mm. because it ends. It's like ten, eight, thirteen, and it's because it was written ten years ago. Oh, wow, wow! But I've always loved this song. Mm-hmm. I, I love this artist, and. I just sent it to him out of nowhere. It just kinda of felt like, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna just send this. Like, so I don't know why that's on yet last night. But the idea that songs have have to come out right now, I keep saying that in the sessions to slow things down. Good for you. It's like you know, we're like, Who's looking right now? It's like, Okay, well, we can aim for that, but just trust the process that if that gives us inspiration to yeah. write, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, but know if that if you're here you long, if you're here long enough, like that song that that's uncut, it still might get cut. That's the neat, that's the coolest fucking thing about this job. They're gonna people, outlive you. People, it's nuts. Yeah. People always think that it needs to come out. Let, well, let's send it to all these A R guys now. By the time that song gets cut, the person who's the intern will be the A and R guy. That's that the intern that's like, I like this song, but none of my bosses will listen to it. Wait till that intern's a boss. Mm-hmm. You might mm-hmm. just find a home for that song. Yeah, you know? and
1: just to answer your question, without t- saying a specific song because that's too hard, I do have a really interesting. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Category of songs about God and Jesus that as a non-Christian, I I think Jesus is such a cool human being. Like that's how I see him as a human that walked the earth, that said beautiful things that have been grossly misunderstood and used for bad. And I keep writing these songs about faith, because of my you know creepy uh, cult childhood and i i constantly have like a desire i hope those songs see the light of day because they're all so interesting it's like addressing something in a way that i think is a unique slant because i am who i am and those i have a passion for that category of song and, and another category is just like human rights you know like those are songs that you know, you hope they get cut because even if two people hear them, you're like, "Oh wow, I did something cool," you know, with my day. But um, yeah, I'm excited about those kinds of songs. It's like controversy. I love that shit.
0: Yeah, I had a song that was nominated for like a Song of the Year for the Spirit Awards. Oh my, it's you know, my dream. It was like, it's it, my dream. It was, it was, it's. I don't have like a, a long list of of uh, country songs, but it was it was a really interesting thing to write a song here with a friend. Who you know, and then have it get cut, and then be um, perceived as a mm-hmm. song that yeah. belongs in that category it was Precisely. fascinating. Um, there's, you know, I know this is a long interview, so thanks for sticking oh around. Oh my god, but I'm happy to do I, it. It's so much fun. You know, there's there's levels of hits, and then they, there's the there's the level up to something like speechless, you know. You have Speechless, The Bones, this string of just really big songs. The songs that get you all the awards changes the meaning of... It's when you're Kai. Mm -hmm. Did you know when Speechless came out that that was going to be... Or do you feel like when that came out that that changed the narrative?
1: Oh, definitely. And did I know? no. I mean, I like I don't I don't think the only i mean, I know sometimes I'm like, oh, that's fucking amazing. But I mean, no, I didn't realize it was gonna be so massive. and it did change everything. It changed like my perception of myself. I mean, you know, when you live in Nashville and you're not nashvilleian slash country slash southern, you know, the very first thing they say is like, Well, we should get you out to LA and see if you resonate with those people because you look like those people or you act like those people, whatever it is. Um, And I always said no because I was like, I'd like to figure out how to master that's not a real word in this industry at all. I don't think there is such a thing uh, with songwriting. I think we're just all students forever. But like, I wanted to figure, I wanted to prove to myself that I could be like a, you know, Nashville songwriter. And then when songs start sneaking over to a pop chart, it really legitimized my step into like, maybe, maybe this could be a lot of fun. Maybe you should trust your instincts and see if some of this shit could go well because I'm, you know, i
0: You I'm, can't predict that.
1: Of course not. But once it happened, I was like, now I feel legitimized. Uh, yeah. uh, like once the Speechless was behind me and the Bones was happening, I was like, oh no, no, no I, I probably should go out there and see if this resonates.
0: It kind of works the other way too. I mm-hmm. think there's like this need to, you know, for me to have stuff in theater, for me to have stuff in Nashville, yeah. it feels like something because- um, to me, that's like that was the songwriting when I grew up. As like yeah. that's that's real of com- composition, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you know, it wasn't until I understood the value of melody and mm-hmm. understanding what yes. a, a great pop song is. But you want that hit in the country, or you know, to to be like, oh no, I can write a li- real lyric,
1: exactly. You and the, like, I I'm, love not, that just, that I'm not just I'm not just a that.
0: guy who just does yeah. melodies. But you isn't know? that such
1: a fun thing about this town and this job? Like like if we work together, we're unstoppable robots. Like mm-hmm. I truly feel like if sure. the melodies from this town, the production level is just un it's ungodly how it's a different level. Yeah, it's a big part of it's it. It's a huge part of this town, yeah. LA, and then in Nashville, it is unabashed storytelling. Unab- like un Yeah. And even I've told new people like I do a lot of mentorship stuff and I always say like Oh, am I? I'm I'm a rock person. Should I move to Nashville? Are, is there a community for me? And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. But will you learn something and apply it to whatever type of music that you want to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Like the song craftsmanship in Nashville is fucking cool as hell. Like the way they see the world to be simple in that way, it's just amazing.
0: And my writers who live in Nashville when they come here, it's like they're they're just. It's amazing how much they understand story and how much they understand purpose in yeah. writing a song and not just you know not just words. Yeah. Not just chat GPT. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, you know the, of all the things that the Bones won across the board, I, I it's fascinating that when you go to the Pop BMI Awards That's to the win, one. To, like, win what? to win Song of the Year for Pop BMI says so much about you know, when you talk about crossover songs. That's that just blew hard. my mind. That I think that blew a lot of people's mind in a really pleasant way. I think of the the idea that you don't have to write, you know, it doesn't all have to be about rhythmic pop. That said it's a syncopated pre chorus and for a country that's unusual, but it's not like, you know yeah. it's not trying to write. Another Justin Bieber song. It's a
1: combination you know, of things, and I it's think a
0: combination of things, and that's the cool. That's and her weird. performance is amazing. Oh my god! Shout out to both of them. I like them. They're real. They're both cool people. Okay, so we're gonna go five for five. Uh, um, and uh, we're gonna start with the podcast.
1: Oh yay! Okay.
0: Just tell me, like, whatever comes off the top of your
1: head. Ooh, how long do I have? I don't
0: know. It can be, it can be a word, it can be whatever you want. Oh, my God. I just want to talk about it.
1: Oh, God, it's, like, the most fulfilling thing I've put my hand to so far. I just am so excited about sharing my tricks about how to stay calm and enjoy your day and the process and manage your money and still, like... Uh, get shit done like it's not it's not a ploy to you know sit back and do nothing it's like literally like a method of progress it's to called relax. good bones
0: and you can hear it everywhere <laughs> oh no it's right? called isn't it
1: songwriter soup
0: it's called oh it's called songwriter soup yeah. and the link that i have oh. is for a aha it's ah. called songwriter soup and good bones what is, is good the bones? name of the article from American songwriter, oh, yeah, wh- who's the that's what it is? Yeah. So songwriter soup. Mm-hmm. and uh, who are your co-hosts?
1: Tracy Hackney, the financial advisor that uh-huh. you know I fell into his arms you know after my first couple hits. And Kevin Sokolnicki, who is a podcast producer and producer as well. And the conversation exists between the three of us, and we walk through a book that Tracy and I actually wrote. It's not published, but we wrote it. As like a step by step.
0: Why is it not published?
1: Because I mean, who's going to publish a book for you know, however many songwriters there are in the world? <laughs> like honestly, we I met have with one a few. right there, <laughs>
0: and I have one right there because apparently well, other songwriters also another. write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: really just that like it's a handbook. It's like a, yeah. it's a handbook. And um, the thing is, we thought actually, the podcast it's would really inform
0: applicable it. for people outside of agreed. You know, it's a creator.
1: A a it's how creator's to be a creator to, in a yeah. world that where meshing art and commerce is awkward because you love the art and how do you sell something that's art? It's awkward. Uh, so yeah, it's for it's for anyone who makes anything and has to be their own CEO, CFO, COO, HR. You know, I mean, it's an entrepreneur. It's an entrepreneur's. I remember handle.
0: somebody saying, "You know, it's like we think of an entrepreneur as somebody who's a millionaire or a, you know, billionaire, or whatever." Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's still the basic definition of somebody who doesn't have a boss, right? You can make just enough money to not have to get a job, and you are an entrepreneur.
1: And I think poet like poets in the back of classrooms, like are still befuddled that this is a job. Like still all of us can remember the day where it's like, Oh my god, that's a job. Like it's still not a real thing. And I like to so many it's like you turn twenty years old and it occurs to you that this could be a whole career.
0: Are you still friends with um with Kai, do you guys We
1: talk here and there. She's, uh. you know, she's such an interesting woman. I like we we bump into each other here and there, but she's a she's a really neat human. Has a lot of neat ideas about how to live life happily.
0: Um we're going to go with uh, Dream Girl, the song that you wrote <laughs> with Adina, or for Adina yeah. in this Cinderella soundtrack. In I a word,
1: Hail Mary. Um, No, I literally, like, that was the most fast and furious thing that ever happened to me. I, I am obviously going back, like, I wanted to go into theater, so she's, like, a hero of mine, and someone was like, oh, she's doing a version of Cinderella. You're in town. I was here, and they were like, we know you fly out at, like, 2 p.m., but if she, if you could just pop in for a couple of hours and see if you could just whip up this thing, and I mean, it's just crazy, and then all of a sudden, it's like, hi, text message, hi, it's Adina, <laughs> here's the script, you know, and I read the script, and I had all these ideas, and I was like really, you know, really eager to please, had all kinds of thoughts about what we could do, and um, it happened really fucking fast, and she was like calling the director during the session, like, listen to this. I think this is right, you know. And it was one of those things where there were songs on the table that had that, like, that were in that part of the movie. And Adina just had it in her to want to... She wanted to write it herself. She That's what she wanted. And we have sort of shared management because she's with Scooter and then Scooter and Big Machine are kind of in the same family. And so it was one of those things where it's like, let's just throw our people together and see what happens. So much fun, I mean that was a lot of fucking fun, my
0: favorite i i don't I would think my favorite song that I've ever written is one that she cut no way yeah
1: fuck that's crazy. We've cool. hung
0: out a few times we she's obviously a, did that that record and obviously I work in theater and all that stuff mm-hmm. and um but the that song i I just like her performance was great, but it was just the right casting for that song. That's so The cool. right singer. I know when she sings something, it's just, it's, it's, it's pretty special. It's just power. There, yeah, there aren't that many people who can sing like that on the Mm-mm. planet. Um, Wetlands Preserve.
1: Oh, my God. I just had a run of energy, like, shoot through my body.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: We, uh, yeah, we used to play there. We opened for Tim Reynolds there. Um, it uh, Jake Zephronowski used to book the place, and I had a massive crush on him. He doesn't know this. He had a mustache. He used to wear like jumpsuits. He looked like a gas station attendant. Station attendant. I was like, oh my god, you're everything to me. Um, yeah, that was a really amazing thing. And then it closed down, which was just heartbreaking. But it's a staple, a staple. And every time I know someone my age that was like on that circuit, it's like we have like a you know love connection over that place. Your so current.
0: Family nucleus.
1: Safe. I'll just leave it at that. Cecilia. My journey to hear mixed mixed emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, obviously we've been friends for a while and it's you know, it's it's nice when you can just root for people. And not need anything from them, or they don't need. It's like you just you just can watch and just be like, oh yes, every time you're just like you do another song, do the do write pain for (laughs) Ingrid, write these write bones, do Mm -hmm. these songs. Like you have the capability of doing songs that uh, that is not just there. Just aren't a lot of people on the planet who write your song with these people, Mm. but. You know, we didn't even get into demi and all this. You oh you have God. this ability to write with these artists, male or female, whoever they are, and they they're them their best selves. So, you know, whatever crazy childhood history you have, it definitely taught you to do The opposite, you know. You you make a you make a (laughs) lot of people better. So it's it's really it's really fun to watch. Thank you. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis Mega House Management, and myself. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan. Signing off.